Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Thank you all for coming today. Uh, just one quick announcement before we get into the message. Uh, the youth event today um, at Slippery Rock is still on, so it's not going to be canceled at this point. It's a go, uh, so parents and teens, have fun in the water, rain or shine. Slippery Rock after church. Two-ish. 2.30-ish, thank you. 2.30-ish, said a voice from a distance. My name's Joe, if I haven't met you yet. Um, one of the pastors here. Thanks for coming this morning. We're going through uh, summer in the Psalms this summer, and I get to uh, preach on Psalm 32. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for every page of Scripture. And Holy Spirit, we ask this morning that you would bring this particular passage to life for each of us. We ask that we would be different because of the truth uh, revealed in this particular psalm. We pray it would be impressed deeply upon us. I pray there wouldn't be anyone in this room who wouldn't understand the reality and the good news of the forgiveness of sins made possible through Jesus. And we ask uh, all this in your name. Amen. Raise your hand if you know what a presidential pardon is. Presidential pardon. Thank you. I, I've, I've asked people um, individually, and I haven't gotten the response that I just saw there. So, a presidential pardon. Let me just read a little bit of what, what I pulled up. Um, and then we'll talk about it a bit, and it will have some relevance to this morning. So, the definition of a presidential pardon is the right of a leader, in this case our president, of a country to forgive someone for a crime or to excuse someone from punishment. In the United States, Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution gives the president the power to pardon people for federal crimes. It reads this way, the president shall have the power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses according to the U United States, except in the case of impeachment. So if you look up presidential pardons, you'll see that um, there's just a long history of presidents granting pardon to criminals, to felons who were convicted for crime. And I want you to think about it for a moment from the felon's perspective. If you are guilty and serving time in a state penitentiary, and you apply for a pardon, and you are granted a pardon, it really is the best news that you could receive. See, a president can grant a pardon, which not only will get you out of state prison, but it will actually take away your criminal record. So if you do a background check, the felon, felony charge will no longer come up. It's good news. And if you were serving a life sentence and you were pardoned five years into that life sentence, it would be really, really good news. Oftentimes, those of you who are familiar with this know this, that presidents on their last day of office will grant pardons. Um, I think President Clinton granted 200 pardons his last day of office. So they didn't have any political pushback. 
it's, it's a, as I read a, a bit about it, particularly from, um, you know, hundreds of years ago, I read, I read something about 150 years ago where they, they just understood it to be a mercy, a mercy provision in the Constitution. And so we have the law, we are for justice, and this is a mercy provision. And the reason I, I want us to think about presidential pardons is because it really is a mercy provision from the President of the United States to a convicted, guilty person who really did the crime. Why I want us to think about that is because we're going to look at something in Psalm 32 that is far better than a presidential pardon. But I think it's familiar to us, maybe too familiar at times, and we miss the reality of what is being offered to us. And so I want you to have in mind being someone in a state penitentiary for a long period of time and then finding out the news you've been set free. Because that really is good news. To be forgiven, to be um, covered for crimes committed. Look at Psalm 32. We're going to see far better news in Psalm 32. I'm just going to start by reading verses 1 and 2. And the title of this message is Forgiven and Happy. Psalm 32. A mascal of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. That word blessed can be translated happy. So let me read it that way. Happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. First point of this message is, happy is the one whose sins are forgiven. Happy is the one whose sins are forgiven. This psalm was written by King David. He knew this happiness personally. He was a follower of God. He was a truster in the Messiah to come. And he marveled in this reality. The idea of this psalm, it's meant to be an instruction, not just for King David, but for all of us. And what an instruction it is. See, verse 1 says, blessed or happy is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Transgress or transgression can be translated as a breach of trust or those who rebel or are rebellious. A rebellious act. According to the Bible, we're all transgressors by nature. We've all committed a major breach of trust against our Maker. We've all rebelled. We've all been rebellious. We have all committed rebellious acts. Another way to say it is we are all guilty by nature. So we are really by nature in a worse predicament 
than someone who is in a state penitentiary for a life sentence. And that, that word by nature is very intentional. See, we were born sinful, and then we acted out on that sinful nature. That's the bad news of the Bible. A lot of times we don't like to talk about the bad news. But in order to really understand verses 1 and 2, we got to come to terms with the bad news. Not only did we act out, not only did we rebel, but when we rebelled, we were rebelling against the Lord Himself. And so, if we can say that our transgressions are forgiven and our sins are covered, that's a really, really, really big deal. See, the happy person is one who has trusted in Jesus Christ, believing that Jesus is fully God, fully man, died on the cross for our transgressions and our trespasses and our iniquities. He, he took the punishment that we all deserve. And if we trust in that provision, if we trust in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven of our past sins, our present sins, our future sins. We are completely covered. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. A complete exchange happened when Jesus died on the cross. Jesus the innocent became the guilty. We, the guilty, became the innocent. We were declared righteous, covered in full by Jesus Christ. See, this is far better than a presidential pardon. And it's far more personal. See, in our pardon, our Maker, the Creator of heaven and earth, very personally got involved. So when a president grants a pardon, he might know the person. President Clinton even pardoned his half-brother. He might be related to the person. But God the Father got so intimately involved with our pardon that He sent His Son Jesus to do the sentence, to pay the term, to pay for our sins. See, in the, the heavenly pardon, justice actually was satisfied. See, that's different than a presidential pardon. There's an act of mercy, but for crimes committed, justice actually isn't completely fulfilled because the person, male or female, is set free. When it comes to our salvation, God the Father sacrificed His Son so that you and I could be forgiven and pardoned. See, that is a huge, huge deal. Some of you remember the moment you received your pardon. I remember when I received my pardon from the Lord. I was 19 years old. I was enslaved to all kinds of sinful passions. I was living for myself. I was unable to change my behavior. I was lost. The Bible would say I was spiritually dead in my sins. I was 
extremely guilt-ridden and aware that I had sinned against a holy God. I had regrets for actions that I had done. I had many sleepless nights because of who I was. And then, sometime in January of my 19th year of life, I understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus actually paid for all my sins if I would run to him and trust in him. And what a happy day that was. All guilt was gone. My sins were completely forgiven and covered by Jesus Christ. See, if you are a Christian, that pardon should always be a source of joy for you. Should always be a source of joy for you. There are people alive today that received presidential pardons in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And you can't help but think that they remember when those prison, that prison cell was opened and they walked out. Many years ago. They, they didn't forget that day. How much more should we be moved by our pardon from the King of Heaven? It should be a source of happiness Always. It should be a motivation for joy. So what do you do if you're just not moved by your salvation anymore? You're not, you're not joyful about it. You're no longer happy when you think about it. It's, it's kind of become dusty in your mind and soul and sort of a distant memory. You're Christian. You would say you have really trusted in Christ. But to sing and to talk about Jesus and to worship Him, if you're honest, the, the, joy's, the joy's kind of dried up to some degree. What do you do? What's going on there? I think there can be a lot of reasons for that, even what the guys shared today. At the mic can be a reason that life's pressures, life's demands, life's distractions take us away from the reality of our situation. Some of it could be that you have forgotten how awesome and mighty God is, how holy He is, and how unlike Him by nature you are, and how big that gap really was. And when Jesus died on the cross to close that gap, that was the most important thing that could ever happen to you in your life. And you've just lost sight of that. And you need to rekindle that. If that's you, here, here's what I'd ask you to do. I'd ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to give you a fresh awareness of your salvation. And do it through the study of Scripture. Read the first eight chapters of the book of Romans slowly and prayerfully and put yourself in the middle of it. I think as you do that, by the time you get to chapter 8, there will be joy that wasn't there. Read the book of Hebrews and pray that the Lord would just show you how important the singular sacrifice of Jesus Christ was. How significant it was to the whole of Scripture. Ask others to pray for you. See, it's God's will that you experience the joy of your salvation. That you can echo the words 
of verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. If you have a Bible, flip to Luke chapter 7. If not, it will be projected behind you. We're going to encounter two real people that lived during the Bible times. One grew up in a very religious setting and had an outward form of religion. The other, at least when she came of age, was a prostitute. She, she lived a life of sin and sinful indulgence. We don't know why. We don't know what, what was behind the scenes. But we, we get these two very contrasting people. And Jesus is going to be with both of them. And I want you to imagine this and think about this and think about this in light of Psalm 32 and this great pardon. One of the Pharisees asked him, asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at a table. So there's Jesus, Pharisee religious leader. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. She's, she's worshiping the Lord. Verse 39, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, this is what he said, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And by association, Jesus would be unclean by allowing her to touch him. And Jesus answered, saying to him, Simon, Pharisee, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. Verse 41. He's going to give him a parable to make a point. Here it is, Simon. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. So we got one with huge debt and one with a significant debt. But they both owed money. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now which one of them loved him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. He understood the parable. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with oil. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to, hit, to her, to this woman, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? 
And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love this encounter because it captures the heart of the good news of the Bible. See, Simon the Pharisee, what he did not recognize, at least at that moment, was he too was a sinner. He too needed forgiveness. He just did not understand his debt. This woman, she knew the amount of spiritual debt she racked up. She knew she was guilty. She knew she had done many wrongs. And she knew Jesus was the answer for her pardon. And she was declared completely forgiven. The old life washed away in one powerful statement. That's what happened to you and I when we trusted in Christ. Whether we had a life like hers, or maybe a a cleaned up version that was more internal than external. When you were declared forgiven, it was a once-for-all declaration in Christ. If you're not yet a Christian, the equation for salvation is trust in Jesus Christ, and He will forgive you. Turn to Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ, and He will pardon you. He will forgive you. He will wash away all your sins. You don't earn your salvation. You don't meet Him halfway. You clean a bit up and He cleans the rest up. You don't enter a probationary period where you're sort of saved, but let's wait and see for a year or two. No, you run to Jesus Christ. You put your trust in Him. And all your sins are forgiven and you are welcomed into His family. See, our salvation, whether it's been decades since we trusted in Christ or it's happening right now, is is to be a lifelong source of joy. Isaiah captures it this way. With joy, you will draw from the well of salvation. With joy, you will dwell from the well of salvation. When you lower that bucket into the well, of your salvation, and you think about it, and you meditate on it, and you remember, and you think about your present reality and your future reality, as Bob said right at the beginning of announcements, we don't have to be afraid of anything. All that has been made possible in Christ is to be a source of joy. When we sang Amazing Grace for the purest, that was a, a, a combo version of Amazing Grace. And I think John Newton would like it. His chains were certainly uh, broken and set free. When we sang that, I remember the first time I sang that as a Christian. So like most Americans, I knew the words to Amazing Grace before I was a Christian, before I experienced grace. But I remember that first year, that first spring, when I sang Amazing Grace as a Christian. That he saved a wretch like me. Boy, did that produce joy in me. And that, that is to be lifelong. We should continue to go to the well of our salvation. If you understand the great salvation which Christ has purchased for you, there should be joy. 
pray that there would be increasing joy in that reality. See, David knew this from personal experience. And if you're familiar with the Bible at all in King David's life, though he was a believer in God and a truster in the future Messiah, even as a believer in God and a truster in the Messiah to come, he messed up royally in sinful choices. And we're going to look at that a little bit, which brings us to the second point. Happy is the one who confesses and owns their sin. Happy is the one who confesses and owns their sins. David's going to get a little biographical here. Verse 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Selah, or pause. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my sins. Most scholars believe David is reflecting back onto a time in his life where he was to be as a king out in the battlefield. Instead, he was at his home, and he was on the rooftop, and he noticed a woman named Bathsheba, and he ended up in an adulterous relationship with her. And to make matters worse, he arranged uh, for her husband to die in battle. Her husband was one of his trusted military men, and he had Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, go to the front lines, knowing that he would most certainly die, and he did die. He had sinned grievously against the Lord. He writes about it in Psalm 51, 1-4, where he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me, clean me up, Lord, thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your word and blameless in your judgment. See, he owned his sin. He didn't excuse his sin. He didn't justify his sin. He said, I'm guilty. And he needed a fresh cleansing. And his sin affected him physically. He describes it as, my strength was dried up as the heat of the summer. It's like working out in the heat of the day. 95 degrees, hot and humid. You have no physical strength left. He was, he was a shell of a man because of his double life, because of his secret life. And maybe there's some of you this morning that you're Christians, but you got a double life going on. You have a secret, sinful pattern that, that has made you miserable, that the Lord knows about. And you, you try, and you, you try to cover it up. You try to scheme. The way out, the way to peace and joy is take the hard road of ownership and confession. And as you do, you will receive healing. You will receive cleansing. You will receive forgiveness. See, when we become Christians, we are forgiven of our past sins, 
our present sins and our future sins. But as Christians, if we sin, and we sin in an ongoing sinful pattern kind of way, we, we break fellowship with the Father. We don't lose our salvation. We don't get kicked out of the family. But the Lord says he will discipline us. He will turn the heat up because we are rebellious. It's not unlike parenting. So I have three children, a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 10-year-old. They're all my children. They all have the same last name, Ryer, R-Y-E-R. If one of them would severely mess up, there would be consequences. There would be discipline. There might be long consequences and lasting consequences and discipline. But what won't happen is I will not take away their name. I won't say, you know what, you guys are now Browns. You're no longer Ryers. Sorry, guys, you're out. See, that's how it is with the Lord. And what he wants when you need to be restored is you need to come clean with him. And it's, it's on the relational end for a Christian who messes up. They've got to get right with their father. They've got to get reconciled. You still have eternal life. You are still a believer but you're a miserable believer. The most unhappy people that I meet are Christians who have chosen sin over Christ for long periods of time. Because God's Spirit's in them and they're at conflict all the time. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Own up to it like King David did. He had real consequences. He lost his son because of his sin. Grievous consequences. But he got restored in a right relationship with his father. 1 John 1, 7 through 9, it's a a section of scripture we read a lot here. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin, scrubs us down. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, it's possible that one of the reasons you haven't experienced the joy of your salvation for a very long time is because you've chosen to go to sin for satisfaction over Christ. And it hasn't produced happiness. It's produced misery and bondage. And the Lord wants to set you free. See, sin is very much like mushrooms. Mushrooms grow in our yard when it's rainy for prolonged periods of time and it's cool usually. When they don't grow is when it's bright and sunny and hot. See, sin is the same way. It, it grows in the dark and in secret and in places where people can't see. It doesn't grow when you're walking in the light with God's word and God's people. And so if you are that person, there may only be one of you in this room. The Lord loves you so much, he's pushing on it today so that you can experience freedom and happiness and joy. It primarily starts with ownership before Him and coming clean with Him. But it also is really good 
to bring other Christians into that. Have friends or a church member or a pastor pray for you and talk to you and encourage you through Scripture. See, happy is the one who owns and confesses his sin. Last point. Happy is the one the Lord will protect and instruct and guide. Verses 6 through 11. We'll hit this quick. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at the time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. The Lord says, I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. See, happy is the one whom the Lord will protect, teach, and instruct. When you became a Christian, you were adopted into God's family. You were brought in. And you were changed. And you were in this process of change. And the Lord became your protector. I love this phrase where it says, surely, verse 6, in the great waters, in the rush of the great waters, they shall not reach Him. See, for a Christian, we can be under pressure and under difficulties. And, and God, who is our Father, says the water can come this far and no further. It can come over you and He'll surround you and protect you. It will not reach you. He will keep you. We boldly pray, not as presidential pardoned once felons, but as sons and daughters, we pray and the Lord responds. He, he, he cares for you. He loves you. And verse 8 says, He will instruct you in the way you should go. He will counsel you with His eye upon you. His eye upon you not as a cruel, mean judge, but as a father. This book is a real gift to all of us. It's a gift. It is precious. If you study the history of the preservation of this book, particularly Reformation times, 1500s and 1400s, even late 1300s, men and women died so we could have this book. They hid in castles translating this book into the common tongue. They, they loved God and His Word so much, and they went to great lengths so that we could have this. And so it's by the Holy Spirit's illumination, it is our instruction. And it is a precious gift from the Lord. So stay in this. Verse 9, I love this. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, without any discernment, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or will not stay near you. See, a growing Christian we should be one who is discerning, who sees danger, stays away from it, sees what really is good and lasting, and pursues it. We don't have to be drug around like a mule or a horse. We have discernment. 
We have God's word and God's spirit that illuminates our path. I love the contrast in Scripture, especially in the Psalms. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked. So we just talked about God's people being instructed and cared for and protected. Contrasted with those who live in rebellion against the Lord. Sorrow upon sorrow. Grief upon grief. I spend a lot of time with non-Christians um, over the years. And every Friday I go to a, to a local rehab and, and try to encourage men who are enslaved to, to drugs and alcohol. And many of them do not know the Lord. And to say that their life is sorrow upon sorrow would be like an understatement. They've, they've all lost many friends. They've lost custody of their children. They've been disassociated with their parents. They've destroyed marriages. They've, it's, it's sorrow upon sorrow. And what I'm there to do, and what Craig Heiberger, a member of our church, is there to do, is introduce them to a completely different way where Jesus Christ can come in and forgive and cleanse and change and restore. See, that's not your way if you're a believer in Jesus. So don't look at that way of those who aren't pursuing the Lord and think you're missing out on something. You know what you're missing out on? is sorrow upon sorrow. Heartache upon heartache. See, we need to stay close and run to Christ, our good shepherd. John 10, 27 through 29 says this about believers in Jesus Christ. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. See, when you accepted the pardon, you have been sealed by God's Spirit, and God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit from that moment on, we're committed to your protection and your preservation and the certain hope that you will make it to heaven, which should always be a source of joy for you. Look at the final verse. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. O righteous, and shout for joy, a ringing loud cry of joy. You have been forgiven. You have been set free. You have been saved. All you upright in heart. See, that's the good news. Happy is the one whose sins are forgiven. Happy is the one who confesses and owns their sin. And happy is the one the Lord will protect, teach, instruct, and guide. Let's have the band come up. You guys can all stand and let me pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who has not yet been born again, that you would bring them from death to life spiritually right now. Give them eyes to see Christ for the first time as 
a substitute for their sins. Lord, for those who lack joy in their salvation, I pray you would infuse them with joy as we sing this final song. And those who feel your prompting and urging to come clean with secret sin, Lord, give them faith, give them hope, and give them help right now. And I pray you would lead them on a pathway to freedom today. And we will give you all the praise. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.